Welcome to the C21 podcast. My name's David Jenkinson. Today on the show, C21's Canadian Bureau Chief, Adam Benzine, catches up with the Canadian Media Producers Association President and CEO, Reynolds Mastin, who discusses how the Canadian content business is getting back to work. And Adrian Wotton, Chief Executive of the British Film Commission, considers how the UK will follow suit, having spent the past three months working on guidelines to make it possible. My name's David Jenkinson. Thanks for listening. The Canadian production sector is getting back to work as the country opens up. Adam Benzing caught up with the Canadian Media Producers Association President and CEO Reynolds Mastin to find out what the challenges are as the cameras start to roll and what obstacles need to be avoided as restrictions lift. Here in Canada, production is slowly creaking back to life, with filming resuming or being slated to resume across the country on a province-by-province basis. In British Columbia, WorkSafe BC has released a list of minimum industry reopening standards, and in Quebec, the provincial government allowed production to resume on June the 8th. In Ontario, meanwhile, film and TV production was broadly allowed to resume on June the 12th, albeit not yet in its biggest city, Toronto. But regardless of whether production can resume, showrunners and filmmakers face a practical problem in securing insurance to resume production. Given that insurance companies will not provide coverage for COVID-19 related issues until such time as a vaccine is produced. In a bid to combat the impasse, the Canadian Media Producers Association, the CMPA, has proposed a market-based solution that would see producers paying a premium into a communal pot with the federal government serving as a backstop for any COVID-19 insurance claims. I spoke by phone with Reynolds Mastin, the CMPA's president and chief exec, to discuss the proposal. As the industry shut down, we ramped up at the CMPA um, to uh, serve our members as best we can in this time of crisis. You know, we we had the sort of the first wave of doing whatever we could to uh, ensure that uh, production companies uh, remained viable while uh, production was shut down. And now we're entering this this new phase. Uh, where we all uh, roll up our sleeves to figure out what needs to be done to enable production to ramp back up. You know, I wanted to focus first off in talking about the insurance problem, uh, because it's a big problem, uh, and and the bigger the production, the bigger the problem. Uh, If producers can't get insurance for COVID-19, that obviously threatens the viability of pretty much every single uh, uh, scripted production uh, in Canada and everywhere. Now, you guys at the CMPA have come up with a proposal uh, for a sort of government backstop. Talk, talk me through uh, uh, this proposal that the CMPA has. Sure. So you, you, you've nailed the problem on the head. Our understanding is that the insurance companies that service our sector will be or already have written in exclusions for COVID-19 into their, their policies going forward. And so our proposal uh, is aimed at um, giving them an incentive to rethink this and, in fact, to provide COVID-19 insurance coverage. Uh, producers would pay premiums um, to cover the costs related to uh, payouts under this coverage. And where the government would uh, step in is only where the, the pot of money generated by the, the premiums that producers would pay uh, was not enough to cover the cost of, of, of the claims payouts. It would be the government acting as uh, a backstop. And so that would be 
that would be particularly if you had a larger production with big name actors, I would imagine, and one of them got, you know, your lead actor on a $50 million, $100 million production gets sick or even dies from COVID-19 and the whole thing is threatened. Producers won't have that kind of money to cover the insurance for that, for a COVID-19 exclusion. That That is a perfect example of the, the kinds of scenarios where we need to make sure we have COVID-19 insurance coverage, yes. Yes. As, as one producer put it to me about why you can't get COVID-19 insurance protection, you can't get fire insurance on your house whilst your house is on fire. I wish that I come up with that metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> because or, or analogy. I can never remember which is which, but I, I, that is bang on. That That is yes. the core of the problem. And And, of course, we all have house insurance for a reason, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's to mitigate against those exact kinds of, of risks. And, and it's the exact same issue now with COVID-19 insurance for production. Yes. And have you, uh, or the task force that the CNPA is part of, have you had any kind of indication yet from the Canadian government about what their appetite will be for supporting something like this? There's a very high level of engagement. So we have uh, called trial balloons. Um, our proposal, uh, and I say trial balloon because we've also been doing stakeholder consultations on the proposal and, and may make some uh, adjustments to reflect the feedback that we've gotten. But the basic parameters um, we think are, are more or less set. And so we've been working with government officials uh, in heritage uh, in their analysis of, of our proposal, and we've been very encouraged uh, both by um, the, the caliber of the questions that they're asking and the number because uh, it shows us that they're taking our proposal very, very seriously and they've been very responsive to the need for us to move on this quickly. Right. Have they given some kind of indication that perhaps it might be easier for smaller productions to resume where there's less liability and it might be harder for bigger productions or, or does scale not really come into it? Well, I think to, to flip it around, um, the, the, the bigger the production, the higher the risk and the greater the need for insurance. Mm-hmm. So th- there may be uh, situations where if you are a very, very small production with you know a handful of crew, like say, for example, a documentary production, uh, then you may be able to manage those risks um, more easily than on larger productions where, you know, you're dealing with just a much larger number of people and, and the more bodies you have, the greater the risk, right? Mm-hmm. So that, that's sort of the, the core challenge. Now, production hasn't uh, really started resuming here in Canada, but we are seeing some provinces start to open up. Uh, BC is uh, inching towards reopening. I think WorkSafe BC has released a list of uh, minimum industry reopening standards, and in Quebec, they said production could resume uh, on June the 8th, and the provincial government there announced um, a $91.5 million investment towards film and TV via SODEC to, to, to boost the sector there. Um, is it, you know, in the CMPA's opinion, is it too soon to be going back to production? Is now the right time to be going back to production? What do you think? We wouldn't say it's too soon. What is important, though, uh, as production resumes, is that we have put uh, all of the uh, elements in place to ensure, first and foremost, that productions are safe 
And secondly, that we have secured um, the level of financing necessary to cover the additional costs um, that productions will be incurring in order to ensure uh, that their productions are safe. And so mm -hmm. one of the, the other things we're focused on at the CMPA is working with other industry stakeholders uh, and uh, both levels of government on this issue of how do we finance these additional costs. And that's why we were very encouraged with the announcement by the Quebec government last week of additional um, funds to help finance those costs. My understanding is um, that gets us part of the way there, and I'm speaking just in Quebec, mm -hmm. um, but it is an important precedent, and we're going to need uh, the other provinces as well as the federal government to work with, us, work with us on this to ensure that we are able to cover those costs, and at the same time, uh, ensure that um, we're keeping the highest possible quality on screen because we don't want the caliber of what we're producing to be in any way compromised uh, because uh, we're diverting funding to these measures. We want to be able to accomplish both high quality production and safe production at the same time. So you feel encouraged uh, with the Quebec government's steps. Uh, what about in uh, Toronto's most populous province in Ontario? What kind of uh, what kind of signs are you seeing from Ontario Creates and from the Toronto Film Office? So uh, Ontario Creates has always been a great partner to the industry and it continues to be. We have also, um, primarily through Film Ontario, the, the pan-industry advocacy organization, had, I would say, an incredibly constructive dialogue with Minister McLeod and her officials. There has been great openness to talking about all the issues that we're facing, and we feel very confident that uh, we'll be able to work with the Ford government and with Minister McLeod on achieving the, the, the common aim of getting production back up and running and doing it safely. I mean, the other challenge, I, I, I would assume, with getting production back up and running is that the U.S.-Canada border still remains closed, and that has an impact on a lot of productions that have um, uh, you know, American actors, well, American crew. Yes, but the, the one thing to bear in mind there is that where a province is allowed production to resume, mm -hmm. um, if you have uh, American workers who have been engaged for that production, under the current CBSA policy, uh, they are permitted to cross the border in order to work on those productions. And so one of the, the things that we're, we're working with uh, our partners on is ensuring that there's a consistent application of this policy at all points of entry uh, as between the U.S. and Canada. Okay, that's very positive. Um, <clears throat> I'm interested to get a, a broad sense from you of what the feeling is that you've had from producers, from your members, how they, how they have been collectively dealing with the shutdown since mid-March, how much they're hurting, how much they've been able to adapt, what the overall message is that you've been hearing? I would say that um, obviously there is um, a high level of anxiety um, because of all the uncertainties that COVID has created for the industry. Um, I would say that production companies that have been able to uh, 
maintain control or a meaningful economic interest in their IP have been better able to weather the storm because they have a library that they can monetize. And of course, there has been a, a huge uh, demand for content with everyone mm -hmm. stuck at home over the past few months. So for those production companies that own and control their IP, um, they have been better positioned to, um, to manage their way through this crisis. And it's actually one of the reasons why, Adam, um, when life begins to return to something approximating normal, and the government turns its attention to modernizing the Broadcasting Act, we think the past three months illustrate how critically important it is that the Broadcasting Act be amended in a way that ensures that Canadians are able to uh, meaningfully uh, develop and uh, own and control the IP and that it yes. stays in this country. Um, because that's one of the lessons we're, we're all going to take from this. Yes, it seems like a lifetime ago that we were in Ottawa in January discussing the Broadcasting and Telecommunications Legislative Review and uh, all of the proposals that came with that, all of the focus that was on uh, um, Netflix and taxation and, uh, you know, modernizing the CBC and all of the things that were discussed back then. So much has changed in such a short period of time. It seems like almost an alternate universe. Yes. <laughs> uh, especially thinking back to prime time when we last saw each other and yes. the conversation around the Yale report at that time. Um, and, and yes, the world has in many ways fundamentally changed, but at the same time, I think some key lessons actually have been reinforced about where we need to go as a matter of policy for this sector in the future. Reynolds Mastin. As the British film and television industries look to resume production after the enforced coronavirus lockdown that left £1 billion of production in the air, the government and industry has now greenlit what is described as the most comprehensive guidelines anywhere in the world in order to get production restarted. One of the chief architects of the guidelines, British Film Commission Chief Executive Adrian Wotton, tells Michael Pickard how we got to this point, the impact the coronavirus has had on the high-end film and television industry in the UK, and what the guidelines mean for broadcasters, producers and employees. The government didn't, you know, prescribe the film and television industry as being one of the industries that had to shut down. It became very, very, you know, clear, um, you know, within sort of days really it wasn't weeks it was within days that it just wasn't practical you know um with the with the pandemic kind of really raging um for people to be able to work safely and i think there was a you know there was a sort of uh, you know triple whammy really i think you know government was sort of saying well don't go to work work remotely if you can um, and so that was sort of coming out and we were kind of saying to people, well, on the basis of what the government is saying, we can't, you know, we certainly can't say it's safe for you to carry on shooting, whether it's in the, you know, on location or in studio. And the studios themselves were saying to their clients, you know, the, the big studios, you know, we're really not sure this is going to make sense for you to continue. And obviously the, the, end of the productions themselves were all going, you know what, um, we have to suspend. We have, and so there was a there was a, almost like a organic collective decision that everybody talking to everybody really really fast, and that really fast conversation meant that 
it, it, it didn't seem to take any time at all. It was, as I say, it was almost like 48 hours and every production in the UK was stopped, you know, and, and it was like, no, yeah, okay, that's stopped, that's stopped, that's stopped. Yeah, we're stopping. And, and as I say, we were getting, we were getting, certainly we were getting calls and emails saying, what do you think? And we said, well, the government advice is pretty clear, you know, um, and, uh, and, and, and really there was no argument with that. Nobody tried to carry on shooting. Everyone went, no, we've just got to stop. You know, that meant there was, we estimated something like a billion pounds worth of production that just froze on, on the studios of the UK, kind of almost overnight. Yes, yeah, so when you put into numbers like that, it's uh, it's quite incredible, isn't no, it's it? Staggering. What, yeah, it's, <laughs> thousands and thousands of people's jobs, you know, yeah. just because each one of those productions, one of those really big productions, you know, each one of them has got, you know, roughly again we estimate anything from a thousand to fifteen hundred people working on it at different stages, and then you throw in all the additional service and infrastructure, it is thousands of people, you know, on on each on each film, and and then you you know you add that the film and the television programs together and it's a huge amount of money and and the fact that you've put together these um you know comprehensive guidelines for getting back to work um that came out at the start of the month i mean how long um were you actually working on that you know when did you get to a point from the government advice where you said okay we can now start looking at this and, and seeing how we can actually get back you know get the cameras rolling again we pretty much started working i mean it wasn't long into the lockdown process that we we started working on them, but but it really became a very, very intensive process from over the course of probably a month, I'd say, you know, from from sort of, you know, April and, and at a point in April, we were talking about them. And then we actually, the recovery group's efforts really kind of focused on them. We formed a, a subgroup, a production subgroup made up of line producers, of, um, of execs, of Beck to of the production guild, um, studio uh, operators, um, and health and safety specialists. And we basically brought them together. We took every, every form of guidance that anywhere we could find in the world on production and pulled that all together into one gigantic kind of live database and then started reviewing it, going through it, going to each different department um, and saying, does this make sense? Will this work? Can we do this? You know, all in the context of having also to, to merge essentially advice we were getting from production about working and what the government guidance said about safe working. And to be honest, Michael, it was an incredibly intensive process. I think that I certainly am not aware of a, a film and television agency that's ever conducted not just in the UK, but anywhere in the world, a consultation exercise this large, because we surveyed pretty much the entire domestic film and television industry, but we also talked individually to the studios, to the streamers, to the online platforms, to international production. We circulated the guidelines across Europe to the different funding agencies of Europe, and we had input across the board. And so, and so, with that, what um, what would you say are obviously you know some of the main um, points that people should be aware of in terms of the guidance and going back to work? It's about going back to work, but going back to work in a way that protects the health of everybody, you know, and doesn't create any kind of unnecessary risk. Um, and and fundamental to that is, you know, a responsibility on the employers, but also 
frankly, a greater responsibility on the employee. You know, it's about, yes, the fact is that as, as, as they found in elite sport, it's quite unlikely that in a really safe working environment where things, people are being tested, checked, you know, where, where they're, they're working in teams, where they're observing social distancing, that the virus will spread. Actually, it's less likely in the workplace. The risk is people coming into the workplace. It's what they do at home. And so there's a responsibility, first of all, that if people have any symptoms, you know, if they, they don't go to work, you know, they actually make that compact with themselves and the work that they all stay at home and self-isolate. You know, they will use all the safety, you know, the safety precautions of washing, et cetera, et cetera, all the hand washing stuff. But don't go into work unless you're healthy. And another point that sort of caught my eye was uh, people have obviously spoken about a lot is the fact that we're going to see a lot, a lot fewer people on on sets. I guess certainly for this immediate period. But what what are some of the the lessons maybe that are in the guidance or the way that the industry has responded that you think will change the industry forever, not just for the next six months? I mean, are we likely to see fewer people on set? You know, in you know, regardless of, of whether things go back to normal or are people you know as we're seeing across business people are more likely to be now working at home you know in, in greater numbers what how do you think what we're seeing now will affect things permanently I, I i certainly think that in terms of you know personnel that don't really need to be on set that can watch digital you know uh capture of material from an office somewhere else that isn't on the set that don't have to be working or walking into that workspace. I think we can see a much greater preponderance of that in the same way as everyone's talking now about working remotely and living on Zoom and, and not, you know, and how that's changed our lives just on a day-to-day basis. I think you're going to see much more of that. I think you will see, I'm not saying that the workforce is going to shrink, but where the workforce goes in relation to production will shrink. And, and that's certainly for now. And that may well become a permanent thing because there's no necessity for it's a nice it's kind of a nice thing that people can wander in you know onto the set but it's not necessarily essential for except for people who really have to be there to capture you know the scene to actually shoot it to be part of it who are actually technologically and physically have to be involved in it so i think we are going to see smaller sets smaller crews present there's, there's clearly going to be more shift working in this time. You know, there's going to be more cleansing. That's also going to extend the, the, the shooting time because you'll, you'll see greater breaks between shooting and I think more shift operation in terms of crew because of the necessity to cleanse. And, and, and you know, one thing that also caught my eye, I guess, from a, a storytelling point of view is, um, you know, that in terms of on-camera requirements and, and how these stories are going to be filmed, you know, physically, but then also... I guess that then affects the kinds of stories that we're going to be telling for the, the, you know, the next few months. I mean, how do you see that playing out in terms of what viewers might expect to see on screen? You know, I guess less intimate moments maybe, or will we notice that people are standing two meters away? Will it have to involve some clever camera sort of uh, imagination, I guess, on set from the team? I, I mean, I think that, that there clearly will be, it's, it's inevitable, there clearly will be script modifications as a result of, um, people applying the guidance and following government regulations, particularly in the context of social distancing. But, you know, Michael, I, I've said this a few times, you know, the whole about thing about film and television is it, about ingenuity and creativity. It's extraordinary how ingenious 
you know, um, creative talent is at getting across, uh, getting over, you know, um, apparently insurmountable objects. It's not called the magic of the movies, you know, for no reason, you know. I think we will see modifications, but I also think that in some instances that will be overcome by camera technology. In other instances, it will be overcome by um, doing scenes much shorter with, with much, you know, so there's that, so a whole time and proximity of who you're in contact with and, and how you break that up. We're already seeing that in, in you know, broadcast soaps and, and limiting the, the, the shot length, the scene lengths, et cetera, so that people who are in close proximity are not in proximity for very long at all. But on top of that, um, you know, we have one of the greatest concentrations of visual effects in the world in the UK. And it, there's not much those guys can't do, you know, ultimately. So I think the combination of uh, limiting proximity, I think the combination of camera technology, I think visual effects technology, and some script modification, I'd be amazed, to be honest with you, um, if the consumer, the viewer, noticed that much difference. You know, I, I think for the vast majority of stories, um, they won't notice that much difference because we have the sophistication and, and brilliantly creative talents to overcome those obstacles. And I think obviously those obstacles also will, will lessen as time goes on as, as the situation changes. Adrian Wotton. That's all for this week. We hope you're safe and well wherever you are and looking forward to getting back to a new normal. My name's David Jenkinson. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.